Welcome to the Stories Are Soul Food podcast, presented by Cannonball Books, the kids' fiction imprint of Cannon Press. So I followed the ghost of a king with every step I tried to see me on for trace of the riverside. We're back. Man, I had a lot of fun talking to David last week. That was week. great. Mr. Greyhavens. I hope you all just enjoyed our Ghost of a King bumper, courtesy of David Redford and the Grey Havens. Yeah. And We're so much classier now with a real song up front. I bought the album, as requested. I was about to say, you've never had the OU oh, stream. Yeah. Stream albums. Well, you wouldn't believe how hard it is to find a way to actually buy the album when you don't have iTunes. <laughs> you like you Amazon get, Prime is like, no, no, it's free. And I'm like, I know, but I want to buy the album. <laughs> I'm going to support the artist. <laughs> I want to I want to flow revenue to the artist. Yeah. How do I flow revenue to the artist? Now, one of the ways you can do this, since we're still in our post Grey Havens episode, uh and Brian already went and bought an album. If you stream songs from an artist that you really, really like, and you want to support the artist, one of the one of the ways to support that artist is go to their website and like buy a shirt. You right. know, like you can go buy from them, cut out, come out, cut out some middlemen. Um, also, I should have checked Bandcamp if he has one of those. I don't know if he does. It's kind of more of an amateur thing. But well, if they do, they get I mean, more money from Bandcamp. I should have done that. Well, I don't even. Yeah, I don't know if he still has that. Um, or if he uses that to like stream early, uh, early Dem- versions demos, of demos yeah, early stuff, versions yeah. of tracks for friends, um, but yeah, if if you do listen to an artist's music or uh, in any way support an artist, like with your eyeballs, with your ears, you have to think about how they eat, how they continue to do what they do, and so artists have to have thick skins. I mean, they all do. People who are professional writers or directors or musicians, they all have to have developed a certain uh, durability to the weird, like weird rudeness. Um, so when I, when I have uh, a line of, you know, 15 kids from four different families who have all shared one copy, one paperback, and they, they show up to a book signing and they all they all come through with a piece of paper for me to sign, and they they tell me that they have all uh, they've all shared that one paperback, and they're very excited to tell me about how they all have to wait their turn, and it's such a pain. It's like you know, I I make like nineteen cents, twenty cents off that one paperback. Yeah, and it's like okay, I mean great <laughs> you have to really you have to really not be in it for the money i mean i was i was talking to my daughter about this last night who is she's very interested in writing and she is writing and she's pursuing writing and i told her you really ultimately you're you're putting out loaves and fishes you're you're just sticking out cookies and seeing if god multiplies them you're just putting food out there you're putting soul food out there and if god wants to multiply them at scale then great if he wants to put a roof over your head by means of these cookies, fantastic. If he wants to give you enough money to pay your taxes, great. If he wants to give you a little bit of vacation funds, coffee money, whatever it is, great. Right. But if you set out to start writing and telling stories, um, the struggle to make ends meet off of off of that is very, very difficult. And, it, and a huge part of that is because people work so very hard to not support the ones they actually want to support. We all do it. You know, it's like we it's true. When it, when is that gonna be on Prime? You know, the number of times I've heard from, you know, people 
pinging me to say like, Hey, when I didn't want to buy the DVD or I didn't, I didn't want to go support right in the dance in the theater. When's it going to be on prime? It's like, so what you're telling me is you would rather give Amazon your money and I won't get any of it. You're already paying Amazon. So you want to wait until I get, um, I don't even remember what it is. A 10th of a cent. Uh, or something like that. A tenth of a cent per minute viewed on Prime or something ridiculous right now. Uh, and that would go to the distributor who placed it on Prime, who would then <laughs> carve it up and send us a piece of it against our budget. Uh, if you want, If you want more of the stuff that you like, you have to find ways to flow your capital to it. Now, it's just, this is just the way it is. So if you like a band, buy their shirt. If you like a band, buy the album. If you like an, if you like an author, buy the books. A lot of people do do this. So I also, just as much as I've seen those, those three families showing up with one shared paperback, I've also, you know, I've also benefited from dedicated fans who like bought every single one of their kids an Ashdown subscription in order to get silent bells right and that's a, a newspaper for each kid yeah not, it's a not, newspaper for each kid separate chapters for each kid and i'm incredibly grateful to them so yeah. I've, I've seen both sides of the spectrum i've seen a ton of people who really do put their money where their mouth is and try to help bring things into existence yeah canon folks do that all the time they say yeah. how would it help you yeah if i buy from amazon or if i buy from canon yep. direct and and so um, right in the dance when we were fundraising on angel that's exactly what happened a bunch of people put in money to make episodes come right. into existence um and it's not that you're saying it's not fair you're saying it's no, an investment thing no it's you're not it's it, not it, about fairness at all it has nothing right. to do with fairness it has to do with as a consumer uh try to be conscious about the power you have to bring more of what you like into the world like you have you have the power to to bring more of what you like and to disincentivize other things you know so it's why am I writing the silent bells uh, in this serial? Although some people would say, are you writing the silent bells in the serial? Because chapter 16 is still <laughs> sitting here, not, not finished. Don't worry. I'm working on it. I'm working. I promise. Um, I think it's 15. It's 16. Is it? Yeah. Sorry, slacker. <laughs> At least I'm working on 16. 16 <laughs> Maybe yeah. we need to get 15 out. <laughs> no, 15's out. 15's out, I promise. Um, chapter 16 is the one I'm... I've got the document open and I've been working on it. Uh, but I have written three episodes of a TV show in the interim mm -hmm. and a lot of other things. I've been doing stuff, I promise. He's not just sitting um, there podcasting as much yeah, as that I'm would be just, awesome. I'm not just <laughs> podcasting. Um, but as far as that goes, like the reason why I had to do it that way is because Random House said, hey, not enough people like this book series and so we're going to cancel it. Right. It's like, yeah. oh, and then I, then I deal with the the furor from tens of thousands of fans who are all blaming me for that. I mean, it is your fault. It is hundred <laughs> percent my fault. Now there's a whole long saga there for why they thought what they thought. And there was, it was not just sales numbers. It was more political and complicated and other things. And people retiring and new people being hired. There's a lot going on there. A lot of moving parts, but a conscious decoupling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, if the numbers had been what, the numbers for 100 cupboards were they never would have done that yeah mm -hmm. they, they couldn't have rationalized it so the and then people could be outraged and it's like well spread the word tell your friends get them to buy copies you know like 
do this, do this with bands, do this with filmmakers, do this with TV shows, spread the word. If you like it, spread the word. If it kind of sucks, but you like the uh, artist, don't spread the word. Don't discredit yourself. Like actually be part of that selection of, of uh, good versus bad. But yeah, this is all the long intro about the Grey Havens. Buy their albums. Or if you stream their albums and you just stream, stream off a subscription or wherever and you want to support them, buy their, their swag, buy the merch, um, show up to their concerts. Find other ways to make sure you flow a sustainable living to them. <laughs> like, how do you yeah. how do you chip in? You want more of their music? You want them to continue to play and tour? Uh, buy a hoodie, buy a t shirt, yeah. buy and a then book. and then review it. To be honest, too. I mean, yeah. it's like yep. it's Spread it's something word. that's so easy, but it also looks good. When the grind is real for any artist who's trying to make it, and you know that's just the nature of it. So flow. Flow economic reward to those things which are excellent uh, as much as you can. Um, find those find those little and ways. Here to do I it. am flowing to Look Stranger Things four on a, yeah. as I think about my Netflix subscription. <laughs> <laughs> hey, also, I don't mind. It's fine. Yeah, you can cancel yeah. at some point, but you yeah, know, hopefully, still your kids need some Hello Ninja in their lives. Right, they're not quite out of Hello Ninja phase. No, they rewatched. Let's just say that they, they need Hello Ninja access for right now. There we go. And you and Christy need to stay culturally relevant. And so <laughs> you need to watch Stranger Things yeah. for a couple minutes at yeah. least. So today, that, that was all just one big intro to also thank, say thanks to David of the Grey Havens. Yeah, we appreciate on. the interaction and the questions. And for the, uh, the musical bumper, hopefully we'll get him back on next time he's got some uh, questions. The burning questions. Hopefully he'll have some like fiery criticism and some like vicious yeah. attack. I tried to watch Finding Nemo with your advice and it backfired horribly. Did it really? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is going to be fun. Forget the topic we're going to cover today. Let's do that next week. And never mind. Never mind. Um, okay. So welcome. That was the long intro. Welcome back to SASF. Yeah. We're episode something or other. 70s. We're in the 70s. From the 70s, and this episode is dedicated to James Irwin Wilson, recently deceased. My grandfather, Grandpa Jim. Wow. Grandpa Jim, now with God. What a, what a privilege to be able to spend a, a podcast on Yes, yeah, so we're going to talk about Jim. Grandpa Jim. Today's episode is about Grandpa Jim. Grandpa Jim. Uh, I had a... Go I, ahead. Yeah, I had a couple of questions that I was going to ask. Okay, uh, go for it. But, you know, you can... Feel free to wax uh, whatever you want. Um, so my thought was, everyone knows Grandpa Jim's stories, but our listeners don't. And my question was, are there key moments of of storytelling where you saw or heard of your grandpa being that character who makes the brave choice that nobody else has made? I mean, because he's a bit of a heroic figure in this area. And I'm, I'm trying to think of the best way to introduce that <laughs> the, to our audience the, like the character likeness the where he he the chose crazy, the craziness yeah uh just just the kind of thing that people don't do except in books and turns out you okay can do so I'm gonna, I'm gonna start with um um i'll start with one story he is uh, in my movie the river thief which you should watch and which canon should license onto the app by the way mm, there we go um and, and i should put a little pin here and say you know I had a, a producer buddy in Hollywood say, hey, I've heard you make fun of the plus at the end of streamer names. 
on SAS, and then Canon goes and stick a sticks a plus on the end of Canon Plus. <laughs> yeah. like, we made fun of it while we did and it. I was like, yeah, I've made fun of that too. I think it's stupid. <laughs> so just there we go. It should be on Canon Plus, and I kind of choke even on saying plus. Um, you can call it the Canon app. If you want to say the Canon app, it should be just on Canon. It's on it's on Canon. Um, plus. It's on Canon. It's on Canon Cross. Plus. It's on Canon Cross. <laughs> and I had a giant fight with another streamer um, that you all haven't heard of yet that's that's starting. And the fight was about the plus. And I actually won. And the, they're not going to go with the plus. And I lost <laughs> in my own company. My own company. Is it's gone. Canon Plus SD Smith. Canon <sighs> Plus Andy Wilson. <sighs> Canon no, Plus. It's not. Yeah. It's well, not. I don't know. Anyway, okay. So in the film, The River Thief, back on track, back about my grandfather, James Irwin Wilson. Um, the River Thief should be on canon, is all I'm saying. Yeah. In that film, which you can watch probably on Amazon Prime. Um, I don't remember where it is right now. There's an old grandfather character played by Tommy Cash, younger brother of Johnny Cash, uh, who is based on my grandfather. He is not built in any way like my grandfather. but my grandfather uh, was very much like this. And there's one scene in particular. There was a, uh, a young thief, um, a young thief who broke into his house and stole his car keys, was stealing some other things and was going to steal his minivan. And I think it was his minivan. One of his, a vehicle was going to steal his car. I believe it was a minivan. He grabbed the keys. He was going to go. And my grandfather told him, uh, as the kid was stealing it, it's not stealing. You may have it. It's yours. Wait, real life or minivan? Real, oh, sorry, River real Thief. life. <laughs> okay. Real life. Just take it. It's yours. This wow. is, I think it was his only car. And uh, the kid, uh, old, he was not like super young, old kid. Was get a little bit confused, and my grandfather said, "I just don't want you. I don't want it on your conscience, and you'll never be able to pay me back." So, oh yeah, so it's like, a gift. It's a gift. So you're not guilty for this. I just gave you the car. Wow. Um. Later, the car was found destroyed in a ditch, I think near Reno, and the cops called him, and you know they they were investigating and investigating the theft and. He's like, no, no, it wasn't stolen. I gave it to him. You know, they had they had prints. They had the whole thing. He's like, nope. Uh-uh. Wow. That's who he was. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a there's a scene in The River Thief that is basically that, where the you know, the kid's stealing the car. And Tommy Cash's character just says, Nope, you know, take the car. And that scene, more than any other, I've had people say, it's just really unrealistic. Like new like mm, nobody would do that like oh yes <laughs> grandpa jim did grandpa jim would um and did so yeah when a car thief was stealing his car he made a gift of the car to him for one reason and one reason only and that was so that there would be no guilt that would stick on this kid uh for later so that's kind of how he rolled now as he's deceased and as my mom was texting me saying like hey do you want this do you want that he doesn't really have stuff there's not really stuff. He didn't care about stuff. Um, he had, he was a decorated naval officer. 
and he loaned his uniform and his and his medals to a drama production and they disappeared them all and <laughs> uh, and he was like yeah oh well i mean just i mean how many millions <laughs> i mean hundreds of thousands of books has he given away oh gosh i, I mean, mean like it's it's he ran bookstores he started bookstores and ran them and his whole business model was giving books away uh, to anybody who needed them. So it, it was... I mean, we talk about sales. It, yeah. He must have racked up... Oh, he racked up a lot. So many books um, given away. In Ann Arbor, Michigan, he... So he got out of the Navy and he had a bookstore in Annapolis, Maryland. Then he had one in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And he, being a military guy, he decided to use military strategy. And this is a famous story now here, but around the world, around the uh, the country where people don't know him as well. Got out a map... And he started, this is in the 60s, he started analyzing where one man could have the largest strategic impact uh, using kind of a matrix of decisive and feasible targets and for individual guys. So, Meaning significant and also one guy yeah, could do it. Yeah, and so like, okay, what's the most decisive target that a single individual man could hit? And he decided that small state university towns would be the most uh, strategic and feasible, most decisive and feasible targets. And I love so, that he thought university, one man. Yeah, I got, I got it. <laughs> universities, which means okay, so this is basically a high traffic zone through a narrow pass. It's like a mountain pass. So there's a bunch of thousands and thousands of of people coming through. Now he was thinking specifically in terms of of evangelism. So where could one man make the biggest dent evangelistically? And so he picked small university towns. And started analyzing the entire nation in terms of that uh, rubric. And he picked Moscow, Idaho, because there's the University of Idaho sitting here in a town of then, you know, under 20,000, now a little over 20,000, but a, a land grant state university in a small town. And then right across the border, there's another state university, Washington State University, in another small town, you know, Pullman, Washington right across the border, also an ag school, also surrounded by wheat fields, also major state university. So he picked this little double target uh, when he was uh, in 69, I think it was, um, 69, 70 would have been when he picked it because my, my dad graduated high school in 70 uh, in Ann Arbor. And my dad... Um, well, he picked the target. He sold his house in Michigan. As I understand it, he then took 100% of the profit uh, or near 100% of the profit and bought Christian books. <laughs> so he took almost all the equity and put it all into books. See, that's a that's like a that's this, a character move. That's yeah, a, that's, <laughs> this is a character move right now. This is a full-on character move. So he put it all into books, filled a truck with Christian books and then green team moved in, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. he picked his target. He liquidated his assets. He moved all into his weapons, you know, into his munitions. His particular munitions were always Christian literature. And so he moved into Christian literature, filled a truck with it and then drove out to Idaho. He with his family, with his family, my dad helped them move, I believe, and then entered the Navy. And he was the oldest of the kids of the four kids. 
they came out here, they found a house. Um, and then he stayed put in that house. Um, and that's the, that's the house where he just died on May 25th. Wow. So I mean, wow. he, he picked his spot and then he stayed with it. I mean, he just stuck with it. So he leveraged everything. And then he started a, a ministry called community Christian ministries, which was basically a, a literature ministry it was a chain of Christian bookstores targeting mm -hmm. universities and small towns was, was his emphasis. Um, and none of them seemed to run well unless he was there. <laughs> like he could show up and he had the magic touch of how many books to give away, how much to give away. Cause he wanted to give away the maximum number of books and still stay afloat. He wanted to be just above drowning. So if he could keep each outpost, uh, at maximum impact, that meant almost minimum revenue. <laughs> like it's <laughs> right. Maximum impact meant just barely floating. So he, uh, he did this until he could do it no more um, and just consistently stayed at it and made a tremendous difference. Um, this is why I think my family has been in books and in literature ever since. Yeah. I mean, how many, how many churches, <laughs> books, publishers, oh, gosh, yeah. ministries, so colleges, his, his, schools? I mean. Yeah. His, his best seller and seller should be in scare quotes because <laughs> most copies have been um, comped given yeah. away is how to be free from bitterness. 19 languages. Yeah. Tons of languages all over the place. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of copies. Yeah. Um, if not more of, of that book have booklet have gone out. That's what I remember about Jim who taught me an elective, you know, the practical Christian living yeah. elective at Logos, just giving everybody the talk on, Hey, Christian joy. Yep. Your life looks like a jagged edge until, you know, you're yep. going along and joy, sin, and then repent. And, you know, yep. just basic Christian stuff like that, even to... Confession of sin. Random um, 12 and 13-year-olds. Dealing with bitterness, confession of sin, jealousy. Yep. I mean, honestly, I think one of the most unique uh, attributes, it took me a long time to realize that this was weird, was that I grew up in a family where the expectation was that you... Uh, would put things right. You apologize, put things right. We're going to be academically ri rigorous. We're going to be high achieving. We're going to pursue excellence. We're going to chase all these things, but none of it counts for anything. Like none of it counts if you aren't right with God and if you aren't right with each other. Yeah. So I mean, that was, that was huge. So he was um, all about stories. Like there was a, uh, a very much a storyteller and all about books and, and literature, but that was a big character move. Like selling a house, putting everything into books. Um, now I heard putting everything. Somehow we still managed to buy a house out of here. So I assume he was not. Uh, he actually he wasn't an idiot. You know, it's like he could make a he could make a bookstore float. He always could. Other people struggled, but he had a, he had a real clean rule of thumb in his head for it and always kept track of how many books he'd given away. And like he could give away this many, had to sell this many to give away this many. And like yeah. he had this this instinct in his head that he he kept track of and i mean crazy stories about how, finding money at the right time oh like yeah just non-stop uh, his biography i think you know he just put, grace upon grace um you can find that on his Canon. autobiography it's a big you can find on ccm book. yep it's kind of his unedited stories just going for yeah. so many very, stories very spartan and thorough and fantastic I'm, yeah i'm really grateful for it big fat long autobiography uh but he was yeah, he was a great character. 
He also had uh, chronic false humility. <laughs> if we talk about character flaws, um, there was a hilarious false false humility to my grandfather that I that I loved. Um, he he liked to tell stories about how what a terrible student he was. You know, mm. he got into the Naval Academy. Um, not it's not a terrible student place. Um, yeah, renowned but, for slackers. Right? Yeah, but he he would say things like, you know, I was. I was a kid. Like, you fought every day after school. He always got chose. He's like kids always chose him to fight, and he had to brawl, and he would he would brawl all the time. And he uh, he's like, you know, but I I just I had to get through school somehow. So I tricked my teachers into thinking I was doing work and and so on. Hmm. Now this was at a brutal time. This is during World War II. His older brother was off in the fleet um, on a destroyer. His father, uh, he was helping his father plow victory gardens in Nebraska. And this big stallion they had uh, reared up and went nuts. And his dad fighting the stallion had a heart attack. So he got his dad back to the house. Um, in his words, everything on that farm was pregnant, including his mom. Um, <laughs> and his dad survived but was bedridden. Um and he was 15. Wow. And he was the oldest one there at the time. And uh, his dad had all these odd jobs. Like that was like he had a 10 acre farm and odd jobs is how they made ends meet. And then he was bedridden with heart attack. His mom's pregnant. Everything else is pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so he, and then he said, then the outhouse overflowed. Like first thing. <laughs> so he had to start by digging an outhouse, digging a new outhouse. And then, which is, you know, the kind of thing you used to have to do. Right. Uh, digging a new outhouse, moving that outhouse onto the new hole. And then uh, get up in the morning really early. And then uh, do all his dad's odd jobs. And they were work the farm. He would work the farm, you know, milk the cows, feed all the animals. And then go through, go do things like mow the grass along the railroad. Hitch up the team and take the you know, the cutters, like use horse, horse drawn mower to, wow. to mow the grass for the union Pacific or whichever rail railroad it was. And then go to school. And then after school, he get, he'd get chosen and, and be in a big fight. He'd have a big brawl after school. Get and then, jealous. and then he would go off to the stockyards and he would go off to the stockyards and load cattle and the trains for Chicago until about midnight. And then he would go back to the farm. Wow. And that was his day. And so then get up really early, you know, with the son and take care of the farm, do his dad's odd jobs, go back to school, get beat up after school, then go to the stockyards, load load 5,000, like literally thousands of cows uh, onto the trains Wow, for Chicago. And so he had a lot of stories about the stockyards and uh, the Nebraska stockyards loading, loading trains. That was a gnarly time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was a heavy time. And his brother's off fighting in World War II. Uh, so on, when he says he's a slacker. Yeah. So when cool. he said he was lazy. Um, no. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you're a liar. You're also, a, I, I'll say not lazy, but you are a liar. Um, <laughs> but uh, then on VE Day, Victory in Europe Day, he actually enlisted. So he went to go join up as soon as he was old enough. And it happened to be victory in Europe day. So he, he barely, he was like the guy who held it together on the home front till the end. Um, 
and then joined the Navy right at the right when he hit hit old enough. Then later on, got a, an, a fleet appointment to the Naval Academy, uh, became a believer actually at the academy or actually at the Naval Preparatory School for the academy, and then was kind of reflexively a pacifist, and mm. so volunteered for the Far East because he thought that would be calmest. And so he's like, I'm not gonna. I'm people don't like it when you go through the Naval Academy and then decide you're a pacifist. And so he just volunteered for somewhere where there would be no problems. And so he was the first in his class to arrive at the Korean war um, <laughs> as a result where he had to do some Bible study on pacifism and, and figure some things out. But, um, anyway, when he was going through that phase where he was working nonstop fighting after school, loading cattle on the trains, getting up and running the farm, uh, milking the cows, all that, all that stuff. He decided to trick his, his teachers. He said, I just had to fool him. I was like, I had to cheat. I had to fool him. I had to just cheat my way through. And I was like, Oh, okay. how did you, how did you fool your teachers? He's like, well, he, he fooled one teacher by memorizing the periodic table. I was like, um, uh, fooling, fooling. So that's just learning. <laughs> you know, that's not, it's not fooling. These are things he studied at the stockyards, like between trains and stuff. And then he signed up for an astronomy magazine and he memorized the stars and like studied the stars and stuff. And, and that's another way he fooled a teacher is that he learned all the stars and the constellations <laughs> and memorized the periodic table. Like, that's funny. You know, it's like, so you think about these teachers, it's like you got this kid whose brother is off in world war II, whose dad just had a heart attack when he and his, his dad were plowing the, all these victory gardens for everything. He's running the farm, working extra jobs and working the stockyards at night. And, and then he comes to you and he's got the periodic table memorized and all the stars and stuff that he's, he's done this. He's memorized these things while at work loading, you know, between loads of cattle, uh, at the stockyards. Are you fooled? <laughs> like, it's like, no, you're not fooled. This is not yeah, this you're, you're actually on that kid's team. He doesn't, yeah, he doesn't, yeah, he doesn't get kinda, it. He's kind of rooting for this kid, <laughs> and you're appreciating that he's doing this work. Um, but he's still too, like, into old age. He he felt guilt about tricking his teachers by doing things like learning stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like it was this weird false guilt, false humility, false humility that I heckled him about. It was really, really funny. Um, well, it comes from that, the other... I mean, this is something you, we've all been super blessed from your family. Just that dogged grabbing onto a verse and saying, what does it say? What does it say? I still remember as a kid, the verse that says pray without ceasing. That was one your grandpa asked us in class, what does that mean? And I was like, well, it means you need to have an attitude of prayer because obviously, you know, yeah. you can't pray all the time. And he just stopped me and was like, no, no, stop trying to get out of the verse. What does the verse say? And, yep. and that sort of tiny lesson, yep. it's not what, a big it story. <laughs> it's not a big <laughs> story, but it's him to a T and all of you. Like, well, what does the verse say? What does it say? Yeah. And how do you move towards that? How do you do it? Seventh grade, Brian was like, well, it says <laughs> pray, don't stop. <laughs> don't stop. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> Be constantly talking to God. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. There you go. That's, your, that's yeah. your new relationship with God. Yeah. Be constantly talking to him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, so there's, a, he... Basically, I remember. I remember one. Uh, my older grandfather. He he rode for Navy. He was a big, strong guy. He was six three, which in his era was um, plenty big, uh, quite big. Rode crew for Navy. Was a gunner on a destroyer. 
stubbornly pursued a, a missionary in Japan who was eight years his senior when he was a an ensign in the Navy. I mean, he was just wet behind the ears, young naval officer, and he set his sights on, um, you know, this this woman who was very tough from Canada, and she'd signed up for the mission field in Japan right after the war. I mean, like she was my grandmother was leading a Bible study for the Japanese Supreme Court and doing all sorts. Like she was she was in there. She was in there early. And my grandfather was like, that one, <laughs> like she's yeah. eight years older than I am. I want that one. And she said, you're insane. Like, no. Um, and he just, man, his dogged determination to just pursue and pursue. Man, it's and another pursue. character moment. I yeah. mean, very much of that sort of, I know who. This one. I know is, you're way I know older. who's the teammate like, for me. Yeah. We're going to be able to take down big stuff. Together. I'm, a kid, I'm a kid compared to you. And it's like, this is, this is the one I'm chasing. Um, and he did, and he chased, and he chased, and he chased, and he chased, and she, at one point, made him promise, like, you're, just stop it. Promise me you'll never talk to me about this again. You'll never pursue me again. And he did. Made that promise. And then he showed up again and said, I shouldn't have made that promise. <laughs> <laughs> like, that was a mistake. Um, and in the end, he actually made her promise that she would pray about it. And she said, and asked her if she had, and she said she had not. Some things in her words are too stupid to bother the Holy Spirit about. <laughs> uh, and he made her promise to pray about it. And then he shipped out to a war zone, you know, back into conflict. She prayed about it and immediately uh, upon praying about it knew like this was the guy. And the way she described it is she was like head over heels for him upon praying about it. it was the like, Holy Spirit was just it waiting, was like it was waiting for her <laughs> yeah, yeah. to ask. She prayed about it. It was like kablooey. It wasn't like an intellectual conviction. She was just like uh, went went for him hard. But he was off in a war zone unreachable. Yeah, almost died a couple times. Oh, right? yeah. And so she just saw news reports of, you know, conflict and destroyers hit. And she just knew he was in combat. And... She wrote him a letter every single day and didn't send any of them um, after after that. And well, meanwhile, he's off in conflict just thinking he's, you know, he has one shred of hope, which is she's going to say a prayer about this. And otherwise, he's been rejected. So that was the, you know, that was the wife he eventually scored, which is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really, really funny. Yeah. Um, and then then the missionary board sent him a bill for pulling her out of the, the mission field. He had to, he had to buy her. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, then hilariously, dowry. hilariously, he told her, he's like, hey, as they're going off on their honeymoon, he's like, there's this woman you're going to love. There's this great woman, a friend of mine, you're going to really like. I'm going to bring her on the honeymoon. Whoa. Because this is Grandpa Jim. This is Grandpa Jim doing his thing. Um I'm going to have her come because I need you to get to know her. You're going to be great friends. And her name is Corey Tenboom. So, um, no way. Yeah. So he loops in aunt Corey to my father, um, into that. Uh, she third wheeled a little bit on that honeymoon. Corey Tenboom sounds like it, <laughs> but, uh, he was not incorrect. My grandmother did in fact really like Corey Tenboom. Um, and they, they got along great. Oh, uh, but yeah, he was, let's just say he made bold and strange moves often. <laughs> that's yeah. another, that's a bold and strange character move. Um, 
And the fact that it's not a, that 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 one was not one that she told with horror. My grandmother did not tell that story with horror later that he really wanted her to meet Corey Ten Boom and kind of looped in Corey, uh, you know, to spend some time with him on the honeymoon. Yeah. Is hilarious. He wasn't that wrong. Did, that tell that tells you how classic my grandparents were. <laughs> but yeah, so at one point I was standing in my dad's office chatting with him about something, and my dad's office was lined with books. He'd even built bookshelves across the windows. Um, you know, it was just books everywhere. And there was one spot I could look out near this little table where he did counseling. And I saw my grandfather walking, walking by outside, heading down to his office. Uh, where he would counsel people and, and hand out books. And he was big and hunched and had those, you know, gnarled hands that had done all the the hard work and the hard living that he had done. But a very big guy, stooped and shuffling. And I told my dad, it's like, man, I, I'm realizing I was descended from an ant mm. as I watch him go. And I really was. So he was a tough, I mean, he was just tough. I think that's, but tough in his faith, tough in all the best ways. So yeah. he was tough on himself, tough on sin, um, but never like tough in defense. When we think tough, we think tough in defense of the wrong things so often. But as a character, he was he was always tough, rightly aligned, you know, sort of tough, pointed in the right directions, tough defending the right things and attacking the right things. So hilarious. I mean, just a hilarious guy. Yeah. Um, but man, his childhood stories, you can't be dirt poor living in a chicken coop in Nebraska, uh, which is what he was doing at different points. You can't go through what he went through after his dad's heart attack. Um, you can't go through all that stuff and then learn what you learn about military strategy and start applying it to your faith and evangelism can just consistently with the same dogged toughness that got you through everything else. Um, Without that just working its way into everything. Yeah. So he was he was tough in his pursuit of goodness and righteousness and tough in talking to seventh graders and electives. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, great. But yeah. what does it say, Brian? Yeah. What does the verse say? Yeah. Um, and that was really his approach to all Bible teaching was always like, so what does the verse say? And then what are you doing to obey it? Yeah. And it's, that's remarkably difficult. And for moderns, it's so hard for people to to come to scripture with that kind of humility. Like I'm coming, coming to scripture to find out what does it say so that I can obey it. And, and that was always the posture he told people to have. Yeah. So I'm not telling you what it says. I'm telling you, you have to start by saying, let's go find out what it says, because no matter what it says, we're going to obey it. Yeah. Um, and then we can go try to figure out what it says. Um, right. And, and without any nerve endings or sensitivity or, yeah. you know, uh, modern scruples. We're actually just going to go figure it out. What do you, do you think, what is it about him that made him such a good evangelist where people, he just, so many people that's, you know, thousands upon thousands of people have just responded in that way. Yeah. I think there's two things. One, there's two ways to kind of answer this question. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think there's, um, he talked about technique but I think that he was made for it. You know, I think that it mm. was, it's more like I see his life and I see the thousands of people that he led to the Lord. Um, and I see sort of a tool. I mean, he was, he was a scythe. I mean, he was just made for it. 
Yeah. So I have a certain kind of story that happens in my life. I just, I just have particular stories. Like God has me as a character and there's random things, odd things, unique things that happen to me in particular ways. Things go wrong in particular ways for me. They're usually pretty unique. Um, I don't get a lot of just like standard issue, you know, standard issue struggles. I get lots of odd curveballs. Um, you see, you see people have brand and genre of story. Like they can have struggles of courage. They can have outside and you know, just anomalies of circumstance. Mm-hmm. They get, you know, what people would call bad luck, good luck, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, I think God told a lot of stories with him where he was just brought in as the mower. He was brought in as the scythe. He was, he was the guy. And so a lot of it, we got, I'll talk about his technique in a second, but when you're a guy who is leaving to go on a trip and you get a, you grab a tract in Swahili and tuck it into your jacket, like, you know what? I need a gospel presentation in Swahili. It's going to, it's going to be in my breast pocket. Cause I just feel like I do. I need this. And then you sit on a flight across the country next to a guy who only speaks Swahili. And you have the thing for him. You pull it out and hand it to him. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that happened to him all the time. You know, he told me one story about getting lost on a trip, just driving around and not knowing where he was and coming up to a house. Um, I believe it was. I'm going to like, I have. I have concrete descriptions in my head, you know, as he pulled up to this house. I remember he described it to me. But um, I believe he was just going in to ask directions and ended up leading them to the Lord. <laughs> you know? and, like, and I don't like, and then drove off. It's like, do those people have any idea who that was? Like, there was just a guy, yeah, you know, and he was out in the middle of nowhere, somewhere in the Southeast of the United States. Um, and there's that kind of a story. Like, and he was just, sent places where the fruit was ripe all the time mm-hmm. and ripe fruit was sent to him he was sent to it and it was sent to him all the time and so he just he just collected and collected just picked and picked and picked his dad as he was very proud of pointing out was a champion corn husker okay and he described how you you would strap this thing to your wrist and you had this little metal thing in your hand and like how fast you could go and shuck corn like actually like just uh, or whatever it's called when you actually, I guess it'd be husking, husking corn, when you actually strip it off, picking it, throwing it into the trailer, and how quickly you could pick a row of corn by hand. Wow. Just walking it. His dad was a champion. And I think so was Grandpa Jim. <laughs> you know, yeah. Just, just there he went. Um, so I think he was always working the field. I think he was always in the ripe field, and I think he got sent there. So I think that's part of it was like, that's what he was for. I think that's what he was made for. As far as how he was so good at it, he was so um, the old oak tree. That's that's just kind of like his presentation. Like he was this mm-hmm. big, big, paternal, um, strong, gnarled guy. But um, he talked about how important it was to have genuine affection. Mm-hmm. Like just to genuinely like people yep and so and just to emphasize that and at at the opening of every interaction um it's like just to really prepare himself for any engagement with any person to just 
open with just like showing them affection um, no matter what. And you think about how many, like think about straight preachers and evangelists and so on. They're just, the reputation is you're just kind of yelling, right? You're just kind of, you're being angry or you're going to get out there and yell about how abortion is murder or whatever. Um, and you, you might not be wrong, but he was out there trying to find people to just show them affection. And I think that given his size, given his strength, for people to be shown affection by somebody who was so big and so tough and so paternal, I think it was mm. just really compelling. You know, the nature of father hunger in our culture, the nature of just that absence. So he wasn't shrill and he wasn't chasing people. You know, he was, it wasn't about his ego either. No, so you wasn't listen. about him. He's an ant. Here's yeah. this. Here's an ant. Yeah. Um. You know. Here's an ant. Here's the old oak tree, and the old oak tree. The ant is showing me a great deal of affection. Here's Fanghorn, and he's being very affectionate and nice. Yeah. You know. And also, oak tough, hard, yeah. telling me the way to peace and joy. Yeah. But with affection. Yeah. And I believe him. <laughs> like it's, yeah. You know, there's this because he has that. So I think he was he was gifted that way. And I think that God gifted him that way because God was going to use him that way. So he had that that skill. He had that gift that he was, I mean, he was profoundly gifted that way. And like many people who are gifted, he didn't understand why other people weren't. <laughs> like mm, he, yeah. he never understood why other people couldn't go through a day and convert 30 people. <laughs> you know. <laughs> But uh, why other people just didn't have, uh, you know, rows and rows of ripe corn laid out <laughs> laid out in front of them, um, you know, for him just to to walk and lob it in all lob, lob it in all in the trailer. Yeah. So I think that his his build, his personality, and his toughness, the rugged toughness, and and the the cut and driedness of it, um, the certainty of it, the certainty of his faith, paired with uh, that affection, mm. you know, like paired with that affection that they all felt, I think was really, really yeah. huge that it was there. It was paternal. It was tough. It was protective. It was affectionate and it was honest. Mm. Like what he told them, they knew they could believe all, all the way back to when, when he, um, before he bought his house that he, that he ended in, uh, he had a, a place, um, backed up to Moscow high school and there were kids getting in trouble and for smoking um, outside the high school. And this is the kind of instinctive character that he was. He didn't get distracted by small vices or small problems. Um, he didn't try to put out little sins. He tried to focus on the big picture, you know, try to get it, getting people in the, in the kingdom. Uh, and so kids, high school kids are getting trouble for smoking, uh, uh, you know, in the alley by campus and getting busted. And so he told them all they could smoke in his garage. <laughs> <laughs> and so he told all the bad high school kids, everybody in the high school is like, hey, if anybody wants to smoke, you can smoke here. In Jim Wilson's garage. Yep. And so okay. he invited them all, all the bad kids, all the bad. This is where the bad kids go. Everybody, like we used to, there's a place we called Stoner's Corner when I was in high school. He just said, we're going to have, we're going to have this place and it's going to be Stoner's Corner. This is, this is it. He named it God's Garage. My uncle painted all sorts of awesome things around the inside, um, Bible verses and, and mm -hmm. other things. And 
and he let all the punks come in and smoke. And the rules were, he had rules for behavior when they were in it, when they were in there. But the biggest one was you have to listen, you have to shut up and listen. And he, he would be in there. He would go out there and share the gospel and do Bible studies. And like, you want to come in here and have a cigarette. You're going to, you're going to listen to Jim Wilson. <laughs> this is going to happen. Um, he was like, that's, that's how he functioned, you know? So it's, it was always like, I don't know, you can smoke in my garage. <laughs> I mean, like he's, <laughs> he was that, that kind of a Christian. Um, which kind yeah. of confused people, you know, it's like, because, right. you know, he was all about getting you in the kingdom, not about getting you to stop smoking. He didn't care if you stopped smoking, if you were a pagan, who cares? Like mm. if you, if you're smoking or not smoking on your way to, on your way to damnation, he didn't give a rip. You know, he wanted you to, to solve the damnation problem. Then you could worry about the other stuff. Um, so yeah, he was, he was hilarious. His instincts were fantastic. Gave away so much money, gave away his car, gave away everything, just gave and gave and gave. And that's, that was his entire goal for his entire life. So the uh, example he set was fantastic because he really did live as an amazing character. But he also, uh, as a selfless character, as a tough character, as a very, very honest character, but he also like the fruit of his courage, the fruit of his careful decision-making when he chose a location, when he actually decided this is where one man can make the biggest difference. When he put a priority on <coughs> literature and publishing and all those things, all the downstream consequences of that have been enormous. We exist here. Canon Press exists here. Yeah. Uh, classical education exists in the United States uh, as a downstream consequence of that because of how he raised his sons and because of the community of Christians he built here in Moscow that, you know, that he kicked off New St. Andrews college, you know, all of classical conversations is his downstream, um, you know, like is, is like a one to two degree downstream from, from his moves, uh, which is funny. Cause it's like, okay. So that means the master's degree at Hillsdale stuff at, you know, you bounce around like Biola honors, Houston Baptist Baylor. There's all these people starting programs and studying stuff and, you know, it's, it is, it is really funny when you look at the authors who are writing about things that they never would be writing about or covering if it, if it hadn't been for Jim Wilson. And they have no idea. They have no idea that it's because he came to a little town in Idaho and started building and started building with his family and trained his sons. And then his sons started doing stuff and their sons started doing stuff and their daughters, you know, like their daughters, their kids. And the, like the consequences of generational faithfulness are, are just massive. Yeah, it's like it just doesn't take that many generations to have enormous, enormous impact. Uh, and one of the key ingredients that he also taught everybody is to not care about who gets the credit. Mm. You know, it's like just who cares? Let the hundreds of thousands of people out there getting these classical Christian educations never hear his name. Like, okay, like, great. Yeah, doesn't matter. Um, let them never hear my dad's name. It's like, but it was Jim Wilson who trained Douglas Wilson, who put a priority on education and reading and the word and publishing and the power of literature and literature ministries who got us here sitting here in, in the Canon Press building, publishing yeah. curriculum yep. <laughs> like this is here we are because one guy looked at a map and said, where can we attack that is decisive and feasible?
And by we, I mean me (laughs) (laughs) individually. So yeah, that's, uh, that's Jim Wills. There's so, there's so many stories. There are so many stories, but I think the biggest takeaway is no one should ever underestimate. Like no one should ever underestimate the power of a life lived faithfully and consistently in one direction. Yeah. I mean, just one direction, just going in that one direction is, is huge. So, I mean, that's enormous. And I am incredibly blessed to have a faithful father who thinks that way and has labored that way and built that way. And he has labored that way and built that way because his grand, because my grandfather, his father did that. And people can look at me and say, man, I wish I had a dad or a grandfather uh, who had done that. It's like, you know what? I'm blessed to inherit that. But my grandfather had none of that. Yeah. Like he had he had yeah. zip. So all that means, if you don't have that generational wealth, all that means is you're in his shoes. Yeah. Like you're in his shoes, which means you could build everything. Everything. The impact that he had is the impact you could have. Yeah. Um, and you know, I get to inherit that, which means, uh, darn it, the the bar is higher, and I get to not squander it and try to steward it, and um, and so on. Yeah, thousand generations. I mean, that's yeah. a long time. You've got three so far. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, and well, my own kids are sitting here as the fourth, right, um, with their cousins, but none of us are off the hook. All of us are, yeah. all of us are on the hook to to really dig in and be faithful with whatever hand of cards god has given us <laughs> like whatever Absolutely. he's given us whatever we're for so if you if you can be frustrated or bothered that man i wish my parents had been faithful i wish my grandparents had been faithful it's like there's just there's no excuse god is faithful yeah god is faithful and he puts you here on this planet to live a story to leave a mark to be a character um and my grandfather is a great picture of that because he did never underestimate what one man and god could do right so i love that that's the attitude you all have it you know it's tempting to be sorrowful yeah at the end of a life and i'm sure you guys are but oh the, an era has ended it's a yeah. big it's a big era yeah but joy is what you know when bessie passed when yep. jim passed we hear joy and gratitude yep absolutely 100 percent, man enormous gratitude for what both of them did and for what both of them taught uh, and what both of them lived more than what they taught with their words and their mouths, but what they taught with their lives. So every individual listener out there, like every single one of you just know that you living faithfully in one direction can leave an enormous mark. Yeah. Amen. Like, just an enormous mark. And that's the best kind of story you could ever write. It's the best kind of story any of your kids or grandkids could ever read. So there you go. That's sass number 70 something we believe this one goes out in honor of james Irwin wilson yeah rest in peace thanks for listening to sasfa we're very happy to have you all along on this ride with us appreciate all the feedback all the questions and all the good words from all the listeners around the country, and even some internationally. Anyways, what I got for you right now is <laughs> the announcement that Fantastical Wordcraft, N.D. Wilson's School of, is actually on Canon Plus and available to listen to. Um, I think the last time I mentioned it, it was at some point in the future, but it's there now. So for the low, low price of 99 cents, 
with code SASFA99, S-A-S-F-99. Uh, you can pay 99 cents for your first month, watch the course, and then if you can't find anything else to listen to, you can unsubscribe. Or you can stay subscribed to continue to support us and show us the love. Anyways, you might be asking, what is the School of Fantastical Wordcraft? It's basically Nate's 10 to 15 minute talks, nine of them, plus an intro on how to tell stories. So if you've ever wanted to tell stories, nonfiction or otherwise, um, and you thought, man, I should, I should become a writer. I want to finish that novel. This is the course for you. Nate always says it's for kids as young as anyone who's ever said, hey, I want to be a writer when I grow up, and for adults as old as the same thing. So there you go. Some of my favorite lectures. I think the plot and outlining and story architecture chapters especially useful. And then, of course, uh, Nate's descriptions of how to write the basics are also key. Anyways, there's the pitch for N.D. Wilson's School of Fantastical Wordcraft available on Canon Plus now. You can subscribe using that code SASF99 if you're a first-time subscriber and you go to mycanonplus.com. <laughs>